It's not a guilt trip. It's a grace trip. I love that line. Because we can read through a book like this and really, really lean on, well, it's law, it's law, it's law, but really, it's grace. I want to, as you think about something this morning, as we sang that last song, and as we were repeating, uh, you're never going to let me down and you are good. You know, um, what, what is something that you do when you're going into a dark room and you're scared of the dark? You say to yourself, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, right? You repeat things. We repeat things to remember them. We repeat things to remind ourselves of them and the truth in them. And that song that we just sang is a great reminder of who God is. And uh, when we face difficulties in our everyday lives, we need to remember, you are good. You are good. You will never let me down. You will never let me down. I can trust you. I can trust you. Now, in the first four verses of Paul's letter to Titus, which is what we're in uh, right now, we saw several truths. Uh, Just really quick, Paul reminds Titus and us that those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ are servants. We are the servants of Christ. Uh, We are bond slaves to a most loving and gracious king. We are slaves, we are sent, we are selected, and we are sanctified. And we are in the midst of that process. He calls us, he changes us, he is our savior. We are secure in him. We have his witness in this, and he, as Paul says, does not lie. Full truth, complete truth, we can trust him. We have his his witness in this. In contrast to the people of Crete, his witness is solid. We have his word, and in Jesus, we are then separated. We are in the process of being sanctified. He changes us from the inside out. And as we surrender to him, he changes us and he uses us then in the lives of those people around us, our children, our family members, our co-workers, the people at church. So this morning, we're then going to tackle chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verses 10. So if you would please turn there with me, we'll begin there in just a moment. Now, there was a guy who was walking down the street in his neighborhood and he sees a sign in front of the house and it says, talking dog for sale. He rings the bell and the owner tells him that the dog is in the backyard. So the guy goes into the backyard and sees this black mutt sitting there. And hey, the the dog says, hey. And he says, you really talk? The guy asks. Yup, the mutt replies. Wow, the guy says, so what's your story? The mutt looks up and he says, well, I discovered this gift pretty young and I wanted to help the government. So I told the CIA about my gift and in no time they had me jetting from country to country, sitting in rooms with spies and world leaders because no one figured a dog would be eavesdropping. I was one of the most valuable spies eight years running. The jetting around really tired me out and I knew I wasn't getting younger and I kind of wanted to settle down. So... He says, I signed up for a job at the airport to do some undercover security work, mostly wandering around near suspicious characters and listening in. Uh, Uncovered some incredible dealings there and was awarded a batch of medals, he says. Had a wife, a mess of puppies, and now I'm just retired. The guy was amazed, as you could imagine. And he goes back and he asks the owner what he wants for the dog. How much do you want for the dog? And the, the owner says, $10. The guy says, this dog is amazing. Uh, Why on earth are you selling him so cheap? And the owner replies, he's such a cretin. He's a liar. He didn't do any of that stuff. (laughs) Verse 5. Okay. 
Paul says, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Just a small challenge, Titus, stay here on this island with all of these people who have all gone astray and straighten them out. That's kind of where we are right now in our very lives. It's like, how on earth could we even begin to think about straightening out the culture that we live in, straightening out the world that we live in? These people, Paul says, and we're going to see this, they're on a crooked path. They have lost their way. They have allowed Jewish myths and human commands to intermix with the truth. And that in a combination with the fact that they're mixing in Christianity with Greek mythology. You see, uh, the, uh, the Cretans, people on the island of Crete, believed that Zeus, their mythological god, was actually born on Crete. That's where he lived. That's where he grew up, and, and they worshipped him. They, they lived like he did, in fact. He was deceitful, he was uh, sexually enticing, he was corrupt, and he was a liar. Uh, they lived like he did. Now, not all Cretans were this way, uh, but most were thought to live that way because of their long-standing history. When, and, and when you look from the outside in, let's say the United States, for instance, as people from the outside of the United States look in at the United States from what they hear everywhere else, um, there are godly people that live in this nation, though if you sat on the outside and you looked in, you might come to the con conclusion that there are none. Um, our reputation has lost its footing through the years in our world as a nation. Our nation needs straightened out, right? We all do. I mean, we, we can't point the finger at everybody else and not realize that, they're, that we are broken to that we have crooked ways, that we have crooked thoughts, that, that there are things that, that we need straightened out in our life. Now, in verse 12, Paul quotes Epimenides, one of the Cretans' own prophets. Uh, and this is what he said. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. They were controlled by their own passions and desires. They were self-indulgent with no self-discipline or control. The people of Crete were so characterized by lying that to Cretanize meant to lie. Uh, it became known. This was not the case, as I said, for every Cretan in their culture. Uh, it was especially the case for the false prophets that we're going to see about. It, it seems that you... Um, you didn't have to look real hard to notice that these troublemakers were genuine, and Paul tells Titus how to do this. It is not difficult for us to identify false prophets in our day either, if we will only stand on the truth and compare what they're saying with what God tells us in his word. We can simply look at them under the magnifying glass that is the word of God. If, if they do not cling to the truth of the word, if they do not preach the whole counsel of God, then they are not genuine. Look at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus was to, first of all, appoint new leaders. 
Now, they had established, uh, from what we can tell, they'd established churches all throughout the island of Crete. Uh, when Paul was there at one particular time, we talked about this last week, his, the ship that he was on headed to Rome stopped. They gave him some pretty good freedom. He seems to have evangelized the entire island, and uh, now they're returning back to it, and I don't know how much time has transpired here, but um, there's some problems, and, and Paul says to Titus, you need to appoint new leaders. You need to appoint elders in every town. Every town needs elders, not just warm bodies, though. Uh, uh, Paul says these leaders need to be men of integrity. They, they need, he starts with the word blameless, not perfect, because there isn't any of us that are perfect, but, but they were to live with integrity. They were to be blameless. There was, there was to be very little, if anything, that people could point to that person and say, you are this way, you are this way, you are this way. You say this, but you constantly, every day, live this way. You choose this. You make these decisions. You treat people this way. That's, that's a problem with leaders, Paul says. The husband of but one wife, he goes on. These elders were to be men who were faithful to their wives. There's, there's much debate about what Paul really meant by that. Is it one at a time? Is it, you know, that, is it just one for their whole life, um, and I don't want to get into that today. Um, what I do want to say is that's not the way the people lived in Crete. Paul is saying you have to live differently than the people in Crete. They were to be a man whose children believe and are not open on the charge of being wild and disobedient. Yes, kids make mistakes. Yes, kids fail. They do. But when you look at the life of a family, if, if you really understand it, you can see uh, a father who, who is um, leading his family well. Um, Paul says these men that are going to be elders, that are going to be leaders, need to be men whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. I, I, my, I guess my thought on this as I thought about what to say here is where are the hearts of the kids? Where are your kids' hearts? Are they, are they truly seeking? It's, it's just like all of us in this room. I mean, we all want to serve God faithfully. We all want to be, at least I believe that about us. We, we all want to live righteously. We, we all want to be holy. We all want to be obedient. Are we? No, we're not. Always. The question comes down to where is our heart in the midst of doing wrong? Am, 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 I, am I humbling myself before the Lord to, to have him help me be right? Or, or am I just excusing it? Which is essentially what the Cretans were doing. They're just living, they're just living loosely. And, and they're, in fact, it's, it's kind of their reputation. And so they're just going to keep on doing that. And Paul's like, no, we need to straighten them out. What, what are we teaching our children? What have our kids been taught and how have they been raised? Verse 7, he goes on, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, he uses that word again, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, and not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, I'm not going to go through every one of those words and parse it out because I think we all know what each one of those words mean. And we can look at our own lives and we can say, hmm, 
okay, yes, um, I want to be blameless, and um, man, I just really have a quick temper. So the question is, what are you going to do about that quick temper? Are you just going to excuse it and say, well, that's just the way I am? Or are you going to surrender that to the Holy Spirit and ask him to help you to not be overbearing or not be quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, if you're pursuing dishonest gain, you're probably not necessarily going to be willing to admit that because you're, you're being dishonest. Um, if, if that's kind of like, well, I, if I'm pursuing something dishonestly, then I need somebody else, a friend of mine, to come to me and say, hey, um, tell me about this. Uh, explain this to me. How can, you, how can you justify that? And of course, our first response is, well, you don't, live any, you don't live any better than I do, then who are you to, okay, whoa, wait a minute. Let's not get defensive. Let's hear correction from a brother because isn't it so much better to hear correction from someone who loves us than to just have people say good things about you all the time, whether it's true or not? We've all been to one of those funerals, right? Who was he talking about? That's not the guy I knew, right? It's, it's better. It, it's, it's better for us to have somebody come in love and, and correct us, which is where the people of Crete are with Paul and Titus. Um, they're not doing this just because they're like, oh, these people are all screwed up. We need to straighten them out. No, there's love in the midst of this. There is good reason. And we're going to see some of those reasons here in a moment. Verse 8, rather, so there's this, yes, be blameless. No, don't be these things. And then Paul gives some alternatives. Rather, he, this elder, these elders must be hospitable. They need to be people who love what is good, uh, who are self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. We can only refute things if we know, first of all, what the truth is and, and then also be living and applying that truth to our everyday lives as we live them. Proverbs 16.32 says, He that rules his spirit is greater than he that takes a city. Human power, human notoriety takes a far back seat to someone who rules his own spirit or her own spirit. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message, Paul says, as it has been taught, as we have tried to, to communicate to you. As, as we find in God's word, continue to hold to the truth of God's word, even when our human desires or the pressures of the world want us to go a different way. Well, if I stand on this truth, this person's going to think that I hate them because I'm standing against something that they want accepted. Now, there's right ways and wrong ways to do that. Um, Facebook is the wrong way to do that. Always. A personal relationship with someone, a loving interaction with someone who, who trusts us and who we're willing to hear out and who's willing to hear us out, those are the places where, where we, need to, we need to say, hey, can I share something with you? 
Um, and still, you, you've had somebody do that to you, and you've still become defensive and said, well, I mean, pardon me, but screw you. I'm not listening to you. Well, wait a minute. Do, what, what do we want? Do we, do we want to grow and live faithfully and, and be in the process of sanctification in a relationship with our Creator and Savior, or do we want what we want? Because it is better for us to give ourselves over to the king as a slave, as a bond servant, than it is to just sort of cursory with our minds, follow him and agree with some of the things that he says, but not be full in in the kingdom as his child. Christopher, I didn't verify this, by the way. I read this in a book. Christopher Columbus was stranded in Jamaica and he needed supplies. He knew being a watcher of the stars, that a lunar eclipse was to occur the next day. He told the tribal chief, unless you give me supplies, the God who protects me will punish you. The moon shall lose its light. And when the eclipse darkened the sky, Columbus got all the supplies that he needed the next day. In the early 1900s, an Englishman tried the same trick on a Sudanese chief. If you do not follow my orders, he warned, vengeance will be upon you and the moon will lose its light. The chief replied, if you refer to the lunar eclipse, that doesn't happen until the day after tomorrow. <laughs> you see, the Sudanese chief was protected from deception because he knew the truth. We need to know the truth. Um, the truth is how we are able to tell the false things, the false prophets. It is the job of the elders of any particular flock to protect that flock from deception by teaching God's truth and by refuting the many false teachings they prey upon us all day long, every day. And that applies to the elders of this church. It applies to the men of this church. It applies to the women of this church. We are all leaders in some way, shape, or form of someone, of somebody, a company, a family, an organization. And we need to know the truth. And that's the only way that we can refute false teachings that prey on us all day long. All day long. And some of the arguments are really good. There are, I'm terrible at debating things. I mean, I... I don't have a good memory. I can't remember things well. You know, I can't. And, and I get lost quick if I'm debating somebody who's really, really smart and super intelligent and somebody who knows a lot about their thing. And, and before long, I'm stumbling on my words. And it, so, so I just do my best to not get into conversations like that. Um, so, we, uh, Titus is uh, sent to appoint new leaders. Number two, he is sent to con confront corrupt leaders. As, as Titus puts men in place to lead the way they are to lead, then, then they are then to work at silencing the deceitful messages. Especially those of the circumcision group, Paul says. He's very specific there in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people. 
In other words, that's something not to be a rebellious person. Mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, Paul says. So you have these leaders coming in, these other people coming in, and, and Paul makes it very clear, they're not here for good reasons, they're here to line their pockets. Okay, they want to make money. And they, they, so they're like, they're evil people. I mean, they want to feed off of people that are kind of innocent and trying to live right and trying to understand things, and they're deceiving them into a different direction. He mentions the circumcision group. These are, these are Jews who are, um, who are coming in and saying, okay, okay, so you want to be a Christian? Well, you got to be Jewish. And you're not... But, but, you know, you can kind of be in if you'll do two things. If you'll get circumcised and if you'll follow the law. And, of course, it's not just the laws found in the Old Testament. It's, it's all of the other human uh, laws that have also been added so that we can, you know, be better than the law so we can try and keep ourselves from, from failing at that. So we need to recognize that what is taught is important. And it must remain true to what God's word says. We, we need to study and interpret as honestly and as genuinely as we possibly can. Adding in our own wants and our own desires, taking verses out of context, making them say things that we want them to say, not really what they say as, as falling in line with the whole counsel of Scripture. Paul says it will ruin whole households. It will ruin whole households. Uh, John, Apostle John in John chapter 4 verse 1 said this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And, and those false prophets today are not just out in the world, but they have platforms that can reach thousands and millions. And, and we find ourselves on some of those platforms, and we can find ourselves kind of believing some of the things that they're saying if we're not careful and we're not trying to every day live within the whole counsel of God. Peter Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Following corrupt leaders, which then can lend churches and in entire denominations in our country, the way that our church systems and polity are all constructed, into living loose moral lives that have dire consequences. And it's, it's not just about our behavior, but our behavior is, is really what um, 
what proves what's happened inside of our heart and inside of our mind. And, and if our behavior doesn't match up with what Scripture says, then we need to back the, the wagon up. And it's not, okay, now I need to fix that behavior. It's, okay, where is my heart to begin with? We need to refocus ourselves in our relationship with God or even maybe initiate it. Maybe we've been deceiving ourselves for years and we really haven't surrendered our life to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And, and then from that moment on, when he begins to do work in us, we begin to grow and make different decisions and, and we're convicted by different things. We, we do feel guilty because we are, because we've done something wrong and then we can repent and, and his, in his amazing grace, when we do, when we do repent, he will forgive us of our sin and cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So following corrupt leaders, which then can lend churches and entire denominations into living loose moral lives, has consequences. Three of those consequences are, and, and this is, kind of, is found in, in chapter 2, verse 5, first of all, God's word is discredited. Oh, well, I, I base my life on the Bible. You know, everything that I... Okay, really. Um, the people of Crete were not proving that to be true. Um, the second thing, consequence of that, is that people make evil accusations, and those accusations are true. They're not just, they're not just lies. They're not just gossip about us. They're, they're true about us. And, and then the third consequence is that the Christian message just simply isn't compelling. Well, you, you don't live your life any differently than I do. Why would I want to, you know, commit to going to church every week and a Bible study and spend all that time when you're no different than me at all? Nothing. Um, that's where the people in Crete were. There was so much inconsistency in their lives as in being separated from the regular culture of the island. And, and I, I hope, my, my prayer is that, that all of us want the opposite of those things to be true. That, that we want God's word to be, to be raised up and to be honored. That, that we want uh, people to lack support for evil accusations against us. And that the Christian message would be something that is, is, is unbelievably compelling. That, that it is something that has, because that's what it does, totally and completely changed our life. How we, how we view the world, how we view people, how we interact with people, the decisions that we make on a daily basis. A pastor got on a bus once. He just got a job in this town, and he got on the bus, and he uh, paid the fare, and the bus driver gave him his change, and he, he looks in his hand, and he sees the change, and he thinks about it for a second, and he lets the bus driver know that he, he had given him too much change, and he returns the 25 cents that the bus driver overpaid him in. Uh, he was getting ready to go back and sit down, and the bus driver said, you're the new pastor in town, aren't you? He said, yeah, yes, yes, I am. He said, well, I, I overchanged you to see what you would do. And when the pastor got off the bus, he was like, oh, heavenly father, I almost sold your son for 25 cents. Um, you know, you, how, how do we live every day? Are, are we living with integrity? Um, Therefore, Paul goes on in uh, the end of verse 13. Based on these other things, based on this is the way it currently is, okay, Titus, this is what I want you to do. Rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. 
To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. I mean, that's pretty straightforward and strong correction. Paul is saying, people in the church, uh, especially the leaders, but but all people, all people in the church, uh, we need to live with character. We need to live with character. Because in a world, in the world that we live in today, it is so easy to just excuse it. Because everybody else is kind of in the same place. But with strong and healthy men of integrity as our leaders and as we be sure to confront corrupt leaders, how then shall we live? What does that look like for us? Well, Paul begins tackling that in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach, okay, so teach the word of God. All of it. Not just the things that you like and you want to follow, but also the things that you don't necessarily like or, or make you uncomfortable. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. So men, all men, because all of us are older than someone else. <laughs> Live with integrity. Not just when people see, but when people don't see as well. Learn to be patient and kind. Learn to be self-controlled. Sound in faith and in love. Persevere in what is good. Don't give up. Don't give up. For your families and your work and your community. Now, we all need to learn. All of us are different places in this process, in this journey. One would assume, or, uh, you know, you just have to find out, it may be an older man who came to Christ later in life, but generally speaking, the older we are, the more wisdom we should have, the more experience, the more life experiences we should have learned from, and And uh, if we are living for Jesus Christ, then older men definitely have things that they can teach younger men. But that can only occur if you're living with integrity because those younger men will look at you and see what you say and go, eh, not for me. Because they're different. Number three, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live Not to be slanderers or addicted to to much wine, but to teach what is good. Older women, and you know who you are. Reverent in the way that they live. That that means respectful. Um, It's easy to look down on others, isn't it? It's easy to point our finger at other people's 
specks in their eye when we have a blatant, huge board staring right at us in our own. Learn to be respectful. Don't talk down other people. And, and Paul specifically says, don't get drunk, addicted to too much wine, and teach others what is good. You know, all of us older men and all of us older women have a platform with other people. We, we, we have potential interactions with other people. We, that, that can be used for good, um, of course, if we're not being accused of doing all of the opposite things that Paul is encouraging us to do. Because if we're doing the things that, if, if, we're, try, if we're trying to be a leader in the church specifically, and, and we're doing the opposite things that Paul is talking about here, um, that does not only make us poor leaders, it makes us hypocrites. Because we're willing to say that I believe this, and we're also willing to say I'm going to continue to live this way. Now, there is amazing room in God's kingdom for failure. Uh, that's why we need a Savior. So we need to, to, to recognize and remember as we hear this, we need to hear the heart of God. We need to hear the heart of Paul. This is for our good. And, and it is good. It is, I don't care how much the world and Hollywood wants to glamorize evil. It is not good. And it is not better for us. So women, older women, if you are living reverent lives, not slandering, then in verse 4, Paul says, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So older women, Paul is saying, you need to take on some younger ladies and teach them, train them. And younger women, you need to find an older woman who you can look to for wisdom. When we're willing to learn, when we're willing to learn, all of our marriages, our jobs, our, our work relationships, you name it, they're better. They're better. They will be Christ-filled, in fact. Proverbs 31, 10, 11, and 12. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Now remember, husbands and men, that we are also commanded to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And that is full in, full out sacrifice, being willing to lay our life down. Titus 2, verses 6 and 8, let's continue. Similarly, Paul says, there's one more group that he hasn't uh, tackled yet. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled, which is completely opposite of the culture of Crete. Remember, this, this is written to a culture that is just living, I mean, it's just, well, it's just like ours, honestly, I think. Very similar. 
Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Paul's not saying just tell them. Paul's saying live it before them. In everything, set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Think about, think about your life this week. Think about the things that you posted on Facebook or think about the conversations that you had with people or think about the attitude you had towards your children or, or kids, think about the attitude that you had towards your parents. Is there anything within that that you could be ashamed of and that would give other people reason to say something bad about you? I mean, it's, it's harsh, but it's what, it's what we need to hear. Because if we reverse course on those things, now, if, if it's something that, if it's a behavior that you've been operating under and within for a long time, you know, um, one day of change is not going to, to show people that, that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. But we just have to start someplace. And why not today? Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul was, was telling Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. See, the world, the world wants to tell you, kids, you need to just get what you can. You just, you got, you got desires, they need to be fulfilled. You got urges, just run after them. No, and, and, and Paul has Timothy here, who's, who's a leader, an elder in a, in a community, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And in his first letter to Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 12, he said, don't let, okay, and this only works, right, if, if you're living a life of integrity. Don't look don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Look, age doesn't matter. I don't care how you are, old you are in the room today. You have a mission. You are an evangelist. You're, you're evangelizing people towards something. Don't let them look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then finally, Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal for them, from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. See, Paul is, is teaching us that in God's kingdom there is no difference he, he says it multiple times. There, there's neither slave nor free. There's, there's not Greek or, or Jew or Gentile. He, he teaches that everybody is equal in the kingdom of God. And there are slaves. There are bond slaves on the island of Crete who are hearing this message. 
And, and Paul wants to make sure that they don't discredit the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the change that's happening in, inside of them because of how they're treating their masters. It, 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 it's an interesting thing to think about. You see, Paul says, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your social, socioeconomic status is. It, it, it doesn't matter that you are free or slave. We are all equal in God's eyes. But in the situation that you're in right now, whether it was unfair, whether you were unfairly put in that or not, many and when they when the Bible refers to bond servants, it's talking about people who have self-indentured themselves to somebody else. I'm not saying that slavery, uh, uh, unhealthy slavery, wasn't a part of the culture then because it was, but but Paul never, for whatever reason, um, separates those out. He just says, if you're a slave, um, and you're a Christian. Obey your master. Don't steal. Don't talk back. And, and of course, my hope is that their, their masters would be treating them fairly, but that's not necessarily the case. And that's not necessarily the case for any of us in relationships that we're in. Um, why? why? Why would we want to live this way? Uh, well, number one, because we're, we're kind of compelled to live this way because of, of what's happening inside of us. God is changing our hearts. We're, we're thinking differently. We have different values. We, we're, we're starting to have different priorities in our life. We give in to the Holy Spirit in, in that way. Um, there's an old story about St. Francis of Assisi, and, and he, uh, he told one of his uh, students, let's go into the town and let's preach. And the student was like, okay. And so they, uh, they, go, into, uh, they go into town, and uh, as they come into the gate, they come across this beggar there, and they stop and they visit, and uh, they, they encourage this beggar and give him a few coins, and then they go on, and they see these kids that are playing soccer, or whatever they played back then, and, and uh, they... Uh, kick the ball around with them, and, and while they're playing with the kids, they noticed a, a, a widow in the doorway, and they go over, and they encourage her, and, and they're, they're talking to her, and, and then, you know, after visiting with a few more people, um, St. Francis says, all right, let's go, let's go back home, and he's like, well, wait a minute, I thought we were going to preach. We have been. We have been. I want to read you something as the worship team comes back up here to close our service this morning um, from, from Chuck Swindoll's commentary on Titus. This is what he said. We are all being watched. Uh, the most disconcerting part of that fact is that we often don't remember we're being watched. Now, what are people looking for as they watch? First, there are cynics who are looking for failures and faults, and there are certainly those to find. I've never met a Christian who didn't fail at something, say or do or think something that he or she wishes hadn't happened. So if a cynic is looking for failure, they're going to find it in the ranks of God's people. Hopefully, we will be real enough to acknowledge it and say as soon as we realize it that that was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. The quicker we do that, the better things will be because the Lord is very faithful to forgive us. Second, there are many more who are watching to see if what we are saying and claim to believe is true. And the only way they know to watch us 
Um, the only way they know is to watch us, not just listen, but watch. And I'm convinced that there is no more powerful testimony of a changed life than our authenticity, our being real. It's important that those of us who teach be what people think we are behind the scenes. I read somewhere that all of us who are teachers should not be uneasy if our family uh, gave our pet parrot to the town gossip. Those who know us when the doors are closed know the truth. My family knows better than anyone my failures, my weaknesses, and if my integrity is not such that it overshadows those failures and weaknesses, I'm a phony. We who are known as teachers of the truth need to guard what we speak. They are to be things which are fitting or appropriate for sound doctrine, that is wholesome teaching. Let your words be wholesome, healthy, and health-giving. Whenever you teach, may it be a healthy word of help and encouragement. People not only watch those of us who teach, they take notes on our lives. They remember, they form opinions, they even emulate and quote us. They see us as models. This includes the way we speak with others behind closed doors, among our family members, with our colleagues at work, with folks in the neighborhood, and with those we do business with. We are being watched. Your words make an impact on other people, so be careful what you say. And I say, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live our lives in such a way that it makes the gospel attractive. The question is, are we living our life in the Holy Spirit, or are we just trying to do it on our own? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this, this harsh word that we've heard today. Thank you for your amazing grace that is uh, born and, and experienced even to a greater degree when we surrender our life to you. Surrender those things that are not right in our life and turn from them. Lord Jesus, this morning as, as we fight our own battles here and, and in some ways they seem kind of minor to battles that, that, that people that we don't even know in another country are experiencing today, uh, because of the evil of another country. Lord, uh, I just pray. Uh, we, I want to lift up uh, all of our hearts to the people in Ukraine and, and to all of the global leaders who are trying to determine how to navigate this and, and stay out of war themselves. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would give them wisdom. Put it on our hearts to constantly, constantly be lifting them up in prayer and, and to constantly be lifting up uh, those that we love and and those that we don't. <laughs> Lord, uh, change our hearts. Uh, and, and as you do, I know that, that the things that we do and say will change as well and people will notice. Uh, thank you for this morning. We want to worship you with our voices one final time and we want to worship you as we give of our tithes and, tithes and offerings as we leave this place. Uh, may May we be aware of your presence with us this week as we live in Jesus' name. Amen.